Um, but we kind of felt like in this last month um, that God was really speaking to us about freedom um, and that God has called our church to be a house of freedom. And so we started that series last week. The idea is that the fact is that, um, you know, people can be saved but still live bound. You know, we have a God who isn't just interested in our salvation and our eternal life. And, you know, when I say just, you know, that's a huge thing. That's that's really important. Um, but we have a God who is also so interested in our wholeness and our freedom in our present and earthly life. He's not just like, awesome, great, you're saved, see you when you get to heaven, good luck. He's like, I care about you now and I care about your freedom and wholeness now. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so our prayer is that this house, this church would be a vessel that God would use um, to set us free from whatever it might be that's keeping us bound in whatever way he might want to do that in. Um, And it's not just for us who are here now. It's also for those that are yet to come. And so Pastor Sam started us off with a great message last week um, talking about freedom through prayer and shared the idea that the consistent theme that we see through the book of Acts um, was that before God moved, before, you know, there were miracles, before there were healings, before there were deliverances, um, that the church was praying and that prayer preceded the miracle. Prayer precedes the, uh, the power of God. And so it was really a call for us to be people who are diligent in prayer, um, both individually and together as a church body, um, in order to see freedom in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So today I'm continuing our uh, series with the idea of freedom through the word. Freedom through the word. And what does that mean? It's freedom through the scriptures and freedom through the Bible. Uh, which is what we call God's Word. So we are going to turn to John 8, verses 31 to 47. If you have your Bibles or your online Bibles, you can turn there now. I'm reading from the NLT. Um, But just what's happened before this um, is that Jesus is teaching in the temple in Jerusalem during a Jewish festival. Um, And so there's lots of Jews from all over who have come and pilgrimaged to Jerusalem in this time. And at the start of this chapter, we've had the drama of the Pharisees bringing the adulterous woman before Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, you've got a lot to say about the law. Um, You know, the law says to stone her, what, what should we do? And he says that famous line of, that's fine, but the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. And so then he's continuing from there and he's continuing to teach um, the people there. It's kind of a mix of, you know, your regular Jews and the teachers and the Pharisees of the law um, who are growing increasingly sceptical of who he is, um, you know, and questioning his identity and his authority. And so Jesus is using this chance to um, teach them who he really is. He's teaching them about his identity. He's teaching them about his authority as the son of God, as God himself. Um, And he's also hitting up, uh, you know, the fact that they feel this entitlement that, you know, we're Jews, we're, you know, sons of Abraham. Um, And he's saying, yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean you know God. Um, And so we're going to read this passage together. Um, So let's begin. John 8 verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? You will set us free. Oh, you will be set free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A sin is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you really were the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you were trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Oof, there are some strong words right there from Jesus. Um, He is not holding back. (laughs) And so um, there's a few things that we can take from this passage, particularly looking at um, the word and freedom through the word. The first thing that Jesus is saying is that being a disciple means being faithful to his word. Being a true disciple is marked by faithfulness to the word of God. In verse 31, he says, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. The word here for faithful actually means to remain and abide. And so that means to stay in, to be present in, to not depart from. And this is actually the same word used in John 15 for when Jesus says, remain and abide in me. And so knowing and remaining faithful to the word of God, uh, word of Jesus, sorry, is the same as actually knowing the person of Jesus. You know, the person of Jesus and his words, um, they can't be separated. They are intertwined. And that's why when you know Jesus' words, you know him. And when you know Jesus, you will know his words. Does this make sense so far? Hopefully. (laughs) Sorry if it doesn't. Um, Let's add an extra layer to this idea, okay? So we know that Jesus and his words are the same. um, But also Jesus says that his person is truth. So he is truth personified and complete reality. So there's no illusion. There's no lie. He is complete truth, complete reality. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so here we see again this, this, uh, the same thing of knowing Jesus and his words means that we actually know the truth because it's who he is. 
You know, we kind of know this in real life when we get to know people. We get to know them by the words that they say, the words that they might say about themselves, the words they might say about what they think, their opinions. Um, and so, you know, we make conversation. We say, what's your name? You know, what do you do? Where are you from? Um, and we get to know people by what they say. But we also know that people's words don't always align with who they are and their character. You know, people lie, people exaggerate, people withhold information, or they'll tell partial truths but not the whole story about who they are. And we kind of have this certain caution for people's words. We have statements like actions speak louder than words to make us wary of this very thing because we do sometimes feel that separation between the words people say and who they are. But if Jesus is the truth, if he is the person of truth and truth personified, this actually doesn't apply to him. We don't need to bring that skepticism to him. Um, You know, we have to be so careful not to project a human flaw onto a perfect God. We've got to remember that we are made in his image, not he's made in our image. And so there is no difference at all between his words and his character. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And so, you know, while in this passage and in this moment that we've just been looking at with Jesus speaking, he is speaking specifically about his teachings. Um, uh, But for us today, this actually extends to the whole Bible. The Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Apostles' letters. So the whole Bible that we have now today, all of that is is what we are, are looking at. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to, pre- to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Um, I don't have time to go into the process of how we got the Bible. It's actually so interesting and inspiring um, and and why we can trust that it's inspired. This is kind of a core Christian belief that we believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative word of God. Um, But really quickly, um, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament as scripture um, and the Gospels were written in circulation in the first hundred years after Jesus and were recognised as scripture by the apostles and the early church. And the New Testament letters were written by the apostles, um, those commissioned by Jesus to spread his gospel. And there was actually quite a thorough vetting process to confirm which ones were considered authoritative and inspired. Um, and so that's why, you know, sometimes people will say, that's fine, I can, I can go for Jesus's teachings, that's great, but the rest of the Bible, mm, I'm good. I don't, I don't, I don't take that as valid. That's actually not Christian belief. Um, We actually believe that the whole Bible is the word of God and that he has inspired it and can speak to us through it. So if you're interested in exploring that more, um, I'm happy to recommend some great resources to start. Um, But I say all of that to say that ultimately this means that we can put our full trust in the word of God because it is the word of God um, and it's inseparable from the person of God. 
what I've said before. The person of God, the words of God are the exact same. There's no lie. And so my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you can completely trust God and his word? It's one thing as well to believe it in our head and go, yep, okay, that makes sense, yep. But to actually live like you believe it's true. And we either do or we don't. And so the answer to that question will actually be so key to your growth as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says himself again in verse 31, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful, you abide, you remain, you trust in my teachings. Okay, so that's the first thing we get from this passage, the lesson. The second lesson is this, knowing the truth means being set free. Knowing the truth, so by knowing Jesus, the person of Jesus and his words leads to our freedom, to being set free. In verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so the word for truth here, aletheia, is actually the same word for Jesus, uh, that Jesus uses when he says that he is the truth. So when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, this is the same word here. So again, there's, um, that's no separation of Jesus and himself being truth. Um, and so if that is true, <laughs> which we believe it is, there is actually no true and complete freedom for us that is separate from Jesus. We actually can't find freedom apart from Jesus. And so any freedom we think that we have outside of Jesus is not actually freedom. It's the illusion of freedom. And it's actually bondage or slavery. And so Jesus says the truth will set you free. So the natural question is we'll set free from what? What are we set free from? Firstly, we are set free from sin. Uh, Big one. (laughs) Verse 34. um, He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. You know, when we think of what a slave is, right, the imagery, we think of someone kind of bound, maybe in chains, maybe, um, you know, in a room by themselves, locked away. It's this idea of someone who's captive, someone who's mastered over and controlled. There's no freedom for them. They're bound. And, you know, we think of real-life examples that are talked about, um, you know, in the last hundred years of slavery in America, um, you know, and um, the injustice of that. But we also think of, um, you know, human trafficking today. So that's still a real thing. So there are slaves today. Um, so we know that in the natural, slavery is horrible. Slavery is um, really hard. But um, if slavery in the natural is so terrible, then in the spiritual it's, it's just as bad, if not worse. Um, Romans 16, 16 says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And so why is sin a problem? Why is sin this big deal? Well, firstly, it separates us from God because there, there is no sin in God. There is no lie in God. Um, and... God can have no part in sin. That's the kingdom of God. It's free of sin. Um, And so technically when sin is in our lives and we are under the control of sin, we're actually under the kingdom of darkness. And we fall under its culture and its laws, even if we don't realize that. 
And I know that that sounds very dramatic and spiritual, but it, that, 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 it's because it is. <laughs> it is like that. Um, God's kingdom says, on earth as it is in heaven, but the kingdom of darkness says, on earth as it is in hell. And so this leads us to the second part of freedom that Jesus wants to set us free from, from lies and deception. In verse 44 to 45, he says, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you see this stark comparison between Jesus and the devil that we've just looked at? You know, we've got Jesus on one hand who personifies truth and all truth is found in him and his words. And then on the other hand, we have the devil who personifies lies and all lies are founded from him and his words. And there's, that's the difference. There's no kind of middle ground. Um, and so the only way to ensure that we are not believing and living out lies is to know the person and the words of Jesus. I know it sounds dramatic. Um, you know, we live in a culture that downplays the spiritual realm. Um, but the reality is this: there is no middle ground. And so believing, us believing a half-truth is us still believing a lie. Us living a mistruth is still us living a lie. And, you know, these lies can be about a range of things. You know, they can be about God himself. That was kind of the first big lie that was introduced. Um, who we are as humans, you know, our human nature, the nature of the world, what is right and wrong, how we should live, and what happens when we die. And so knowing the truth actually isn't this kind of nice optional extra if we feel like it. Um, it's actually essential to us making sure that we do not live under lies. Like I said before, we are either living in the truth of Jesus or we are living the lies of the devil. Did I say the truth? I meant the truth of Jesus. <laughs> That's what I meant. Not the lies of the devil. Uh, in the book Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, he says this. It's by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus, but the reciprocal or the opposite is also true. It's by isolation and lies that we are deformed into the image of the devil. And, and Jesus confirms this in John 10.10, 10, where he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus wants to set us free. Okay, through his words, um, he has come to set us free in who he is um, and what he has said. So, if all I've just said, if that's true, if truly following Jesus means believing and accepting and being faithful to his word, and if the person of Jesus and the words of Jesus can't be separated, they're the same, there's no lie, and if Jesus and his words are complete truth, which sets us free from sin and lies, then wouldn't it be a fairly reasonable conclusion to assume that the Bible or the Word of God would be our most valuable possession and our highest daily priority? It would actually be weird for all of that to be true. 
And for us to kind of approach God's word with like a eh, approach, attitude, right? Kind of a half-hearted, if I feel like it, approach. And a follow-up question, it's quite a strong one, would be if people who say they follow Jesus don't actually listen to what he says through his words, then where are they getting their ideas about Jesus from? Where are they getting their ideas about life from? You know, we're all getting our ideas and our information from somewhere. Something has authority in our lives. And the question is, are we getting it from Jesus or are we getting it from somewhere else? If it's not from Jesus, who is truth, then what makes us trust it? So, some heavy questions. And I know that these are some heavy thoughts this morning. Um, Some of you are like, awesome, you can go have your baby now. (laughs) We would like to not hear you for a while now. Um, But I'm not saying this to be condemning and judgmental. Um, I'm I'm saying it because I believe it. um, And it's, it's such a conviction in my life. But also to highlight such an, how it's, it's such an issue in our discipleship journey. You know, Jesus literally says it. Being my disciple means being faithful to what I say. Um, and also to cultivate hunger in us this morning. Okay, so please don't sit here and go, oh man, I'm so terrible at this. If that's how you're feeling, this is actually a call for us to have hunger and to rise. Um, and also, I know how, how easy it is for us to believe it with our heads and then how hard it is sometimes to live this out we can we can go yes I believe this but to actually live it out day to day um, can be really hard you know I've seen so many people not grow not change not be set free not because they're not attending church not because they're not in great Christian environments like a Christian school or a Christian family um, or anything like that but because they actually don't appreciate or value the word of God in their lives you know it's not real to them it's not living in them um and so seeing them I see them live their lives according to the world um and not the word and you know there's not a lot of hills I'm willing to die on but this is one um getting Christians to read the bible is the hill I'm willing to die on (laughs) and so for some of us here um starting to actually believe that is the first starting point. And that's a big first step. You know, a lot of people don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. And so, you know, that's the starting point to value it, to love it, to treasure it. But the second step for others of us is that we need to live it out in our day-to-day life. Um, And so there's obviously reasons why then we aren't reading our Bibles or we don't read our Bibles. Um, And so I want to and by talking about some of those obstacles and some real practical ways to overcome them, to equip us, um, to read our word, to to overcome those obstacles. Um, this is by no means exhaustive, okay? This is just a list of practical things that have helped me or that I've heard um, in my own life. So, um, and I'll get the worship team to start coming up. First of all, the first obstacle is actually our questions and our doubts. This is the obstacle of when you actually struggle to believe in the Word of God. You might come across a passage that raises some serious questions from for you um, and, and might go, oh, I don't understand that. I don't understand why God would say that. I don't know why God would allow that. 
And so what I want to encourage you in this morning is to actually not run away from your questions, but actually lean in to your questions and your doubts. You know, God has created us. He has created us with a critical mind that likes to think and question things. Um, And He allows us to wrestle with Him. You know, after Jesus uh, is resurrected, we see the example of Thomas, who he hears from everyone else that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he's like, I, I don't know. I don't, be, I don't know if I believe this. I need to see it for myself. And Jesus doesn't turn him away. Jesus doesn't shame him, but he actually welcomes him. And he goes, here, here's my hands. Look for yourself. He answers his questions. And, you know, so often we can fear our questions and our doubts. We can go, oh, man, maybe I'm a bad Christian now that I have these questions. Um, but they are actually such great opportunities for us to grow in our knowledge and our conviction of our faith. And so if you come across something in the Bible that you disagree with, stay there. Don't move on. <laughs> go, why is that? Invite God into it. Invite Him to meet you at that place. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you honest with yourself and God about your questions when it comes to God in the Bible? You know, for me, I know that in my journey, the reason that I'm so passionate about the Bible now is because I've had to, I've wrestled with these questions myself. You know, there's questions that come up. Um, you know, we live in a very secular society that will throw heaps of questions at that uh, and our belief in the Bible. And so for me, that's actually been such a gift, even though it's been hard sometimes to wrestle with. Um, but I've found that when I've invited God in to those questions and those hard those hard things to wrestle with, He always proves faithful. He'll always give me an answer. He'll always guide me through them. And so my question is, do you have a place to go to to explore your questions? You know, whether that's, um, you know, obviously you can go straight to God. um, But I also believe that He brings people in our lives that we can talk to, that we aren't meant to do it alone. Um, And so, you know, find people that you can talk to and actually be genuinely honest about your questions. Um, Also, there are some very amazing people out there that we might not necessarily meet, but they are so, they've spent their lives researching questions about God and faith. A few of my favourites are Timothy Keller, Amy Orr Ewing, John Dixon and Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, They are some of my favourite voices on answering hard questions and so I would highly recommend um, those to you but there's a bunch more out there. Okay, the second obstacle is hunger or desire. And this is the obstacle of when we don't desire it. And if I'm honest, I think we've all had this. Um, you know, you just, it's like, again, you, you appreciate the Word of God with your head, but your heart is, it's just like, I can't open my Bible. I've just got no desire to read it. Um, and so the first thing is to pray. And I know that sounds generic, okay? Um, but God wants to meet you in His Word. He has chosen this as the main way that we encounter Him. And so He will give us a desire if we ask Him. In Psalm 118 verse 19, it prays, Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. And so we can ask God, God, help me to see what's good. Help me to have a hunger for your words. Uh, Then identify what actually stops you from desiring to read the Bible. Is it tiredness? Is it maybe uh, you struggle to read? 
or you feel like you're not smart enough or spiritual enough? Is it maybe the environment you're in, you feel like you can't find a space where it's really easy to engage in? Is it the time? Is it the method? Identify what it is because maybe it's just something practical that you can tweak. I know for me, um, you know, I... I need complete quiet and time in a nice environment. And so I've actually found at the start of my day, um, before Jordan wakes up, <laughs> which is a bit early, um, but I, I find that that helps me. Okay, some people can be in loud environments, their kids running around, whatever. It doesn't work for me. So I've had to go, okay, that is a blockage for me. That's how I'll overcome it. Um, the method, uh, I'm not going to give you a specific method because there's so many. And I think they come and go, depending on the seasons of life. There's no perfect method to studying or engaging with the Bible. Um, the best one is the one that you will actually use. So I encourage you, just however it helps you. Maybe it's listening to an audio Bible if you don't like reading. Um, if you do like reading, you know, finding a translation that you understand. Um, whatever it is. And then lastly, inspiration. Find people and voices that will actually cultivate a hunger for God's Word in your life. You know, for me, I have a bunch of preachers or writers or podcasts that, you know, if I'm starting to feel a little bit uninspired or a bit dry, I will turn to those because I can kind of lean off their hunger. You know, we don't have to just muster it in ourselves. And really, that's the gift of the church and the body of Christ is that, you know, when we're feeling weak, we can depend on others in the body to lift us up. And so it's totally okay to steal off people's hunger um, and people's, um, you know, desire for the Word of God. Um, the next obstacle is our habits or our discipline. This is the obstacle of when you actually don't have the discipline to maintain it. You know, we are actually creatures of habit. Um, and we need to realize that everything that we do in our everyday lives is because it's a habit or it's externally forced. That's kind of it. We've either always done it that way or it's forced on us. Um, we eat the way we do because it's a habit. We have a weekly routine or lack of because it's a habit. Um, and some habits we have just adopted and others we have been more intentional with because it aligns with our goals and motivations. Um, Generally, it takes about two months of consistency in something to form an automatic habit. You know, and that, that, that idea of time does change, but about two months is kind of what they say on average. And so we tend to understand that things don't just fall out of the sky um, into our laps, you know, when we want something or we want, we value something. But when it comes to God's word, sometimes that can be our default approach. We think that It'll just fall out of the sky. It'll just be easy and we'll make time somehow, somewhere. Um, you know, we're kind of waiting for the stars to align for the perfect week um, to be in the exact mood. And it really won't happen that way. There is a discipline to the Word of God and that's actually okay. Discipline is not a bad word. <laughs> um, Adam Grant, some of you might have heard of him. He's an organisational psychologist. Um, he posted this image this week. I don't know if we have it. Um, can you go to the next one? Okay, so this is what the image was. Um, someone saying, I need to be in a better mood to do this drawing, but I will be in a better mood if I do this drawing. Uh, talking about procrastination, waiting for the stars to align, for us to do something that we need to do. And the quote he wrote with this caption, uh, with this image, was many people procrastinate because they are waiting for their motivation to rise. 
They forget that getting started is what leads to their motivation to rise. Passion is not a prerequisite for progress. It's often the result of progress. Okay, and so obviously he's talking about work and things like that, but we can relate this just as easily to our approach to the Word of God. And so it's not necessarily starting as an emotional experience and I really feel like it. I rarely feel like reading the Bible, but I do it because it's a discipline. And and, and honestly, when you start, by the end, there'll be something you can glean. There'll be something and that you feel that hunger rise. Um, And so put some habits in place. You know, maybe it's the time of day. Maybe link it with a reward, like a coffee. That's what I do. Um, You know, find an environment that helps you read it or listen to it. Whatever it takes to get into your word, do that because you will not regret it. And it's a great habit. And lastly, the last obstacle is the obstacle of community or the opposite of that. When you try to do it all in isolation, um, you know, this idea of a solo Bible study time is actually quite a recent phenomenon based on our individualistic society. Um, it doesn't mean that that's bad, but it's just something to be aware of because over the course of history with Christians, um, the Bible has been listened to and read and studied and discussed um, through community with others. Um, and so if you struggle to read or to listen to the Bible by yourself, the best thing you can do is actually link it with someone else. Um, and so even if you don't struggle, maybe I, I'm, I'm like this, I really enjoy my individual Bible time. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I've got to go out of myself and not be an introvert. Um, but have some communal aspect to your Bible reading or your Bible study. That's one thing about House Connects. That's why we promote it because it's, it's a practical way. But, you know, outside of an, of an organized thing, maybe you just need to buddy up with a friend or a mentor and just start reading the Bible with them um, and that will help you. So we've talked about this as a series on freedom and I've spoken on freedom through the word. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The reality is that we cannot live in true freedom without knowing Jesus and his word. And so my encouragement is to commit to overcome any of these barriers or if there's other ones that I haven't mentioned. Any barrier that comes between you and the word of God, identify it and, and aim to overcome it in the strength of God. Allow him to use his word to encounter you, to free you from sin, to free you from lies and to free you from a mediocre Christian walk. The goal of our Bible studies is not to just gain knowledge for the sake of it, to become Bible scholars. It's to encounter a person, the person of Jesus, the person of God, and for Him to use it to set us free. And so we're going to go into a song. Um, I'm happy for you to just stay where you're sitting. And I just want you to take a moment because we will go into some discussion questions after this. Um, just to reflect on, on your walk with God in this area of your Bible reading and your Bible study. And just allow God to highlight to you maybe an area that you need to surrender. You know, before I said, maybe it's your questions and your doubts. Maybe it's, it's your habits, um, whatever it might be. Um, and just have a moment with Him where you surrender that to Him and you invite Him in. He wants to meet with you. He doesn't just want to meet you here in this one hour on on a Sunday. 
He wants to meet you every day. And the biggest way he chooses to do that is through his word.